1: A lot of times people don't put thought into the design of their proposals and if you're not in marketing you're not in design sometimes people kind of scoff at that and be like it doesn't matter they just need the numbers they just need the, the content they don't care what it looks like but it does make a big difference and if design and branding didn't make a difference then you know apple packaging would look like shit
2: Hi, friends. Welcome to the Sales Enablement Podcast. I'm your host, Andy Paul. That was Kyle Racky. Kyle is the co-founder and CEO of Proposify. And in our conversation today, we're talking about the importance of proposals and why Kyle believes that proposals are the single most important stage of the selling process. We explore how you can differentiate your proposal to close a deal. And we dig into some of the key findings from the research that Kyle and his team have done on winning proposals. And these are findings that are contained in Proposify's State of Proposals Report. Now, there are some really interesting findings, uh, including some like maybe a little counterintuitive. One is why two page proposals had by far the highest close rate, the seven sections that must be in a winning proposal, and why images in a proposal. Can make the difference. It's good stuff. We get into all this and much, much more. But before we get to Kyle, I want to remind you to subscribe to this podcast wherever you listen to it. And if you subscribe, we'd certainly appreciate it if you could also give us your feedback about how we're doing in the form of a review. So thank you. All right, let's jump into it. Kyle, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Andy. Happy to be here. It's a pleasure to have you here. You're joining us from, where'd you say, Halifax, Nova Scotia? That is correct. So we're recording. This is like two days before Thanksgiving in the US, a month after Canadian Thanksgiving. Uh, you know, snow on the ground yet, or how's the weather?
1: Depends which part of Canada, but here on the East Coast, we, we're pretty temperate climate. Okay. So it's just rain and wind. We're having a storm here right now. So pretty similar yeah. to Boston weather.
2: Yeah. Yeah. Which is not too different than New York weather where I am today. Yeah. We're, I think we're getting some storm activity a little bit later today. So, um, well, tell us a bit about you and, and uh, Proposify. I mean, how did, how did somebody with a background in design end up starting a, a tech company for
1: Proposals? <laughs> well, the, it, it makes a lot more sense when you, when you hear it, actually, than it does on first glance. But um, yeah, I'm a designer by trade. That's what I had gone to school for back in the early 2000s. But mm-hmm. I got my start in agencies, working on you know ad ad and digital agency um, firms, and you know like a lot of times if you're a junior designer, they put you on the non billable work or the the kind of shit work that nobody else wants to <laughs> to worry about. Yeah, that's right, yeah. Uh, which includes proposals. So I got a very early look at what it was like to pump out you know trying to make good looking proposals for agencies, and it was really mm-hmm. inefficient back in those days we didn't have dropbox we didn't have a lot of the tools we use today so it was hunting around for case studies on cds and pulling the files out and you know getting word docs from account managers to to flow into indesign and it was just a, a really horrible process and i just thought wow well, there should be like basecamp for proposals and that was just the seed of an idea back in i think 2006 uh, and then fast forward several years later, I, uh, I went out on my own, started a, my own digital agency, partnered up with um, a colleague I had worked at, or worked with at a past one. And uh, we ran that business for five years before sort of dabbling in the software as a service space. And mm-hmm. one of the winning ideas that we experimented with was proposal software. So that sort of led us to launch, you know, go out and launch it as its uh, standalone company.
2: Yeah, so... Philson, and if people aren't familiar with Proposify, excuse me, is Philson on on what the product does?
1: So we are a company that helps essentially sales teams that struggle with getting proposals out on time, um, getting consistency into the um, you know terms, pricing, branding. That's something that a lot of sales teams often struggle with. Is just it's a bit uh, chaos, and and more so as the sales team grows. Managers often don't know what's going out. Has the client opened these proposals or these contracts? Where are we at with this? With the closing process, the signatures. Mm. Um, we're essentially a product that streamlines all that, and uh, and we we now serve over ten thousand customers worldwide. Very nice. Very nice. So yeah, in your material, you
2: call proposals the most important stage of your sales process, and it sort of made me pause and think: is is, is it really? most important stage.
1: Well, I mean, I think we expand the term proposals to really just mean the closing process. So that you know, for some people that's an agreement to contract, but usually there's some kind of a document a document that formalizes mm-hmm. what's the what is the prospect agreeing to, what are the terms, how much is it, what are they really buying? Mm-hmm. And I think we believe that it's the most important stage because you've invested so much up front to acquire the that lead and that prospect and to qualify them and bring them through the sales funnel. And so if you're getting towards the end stage of an opportunity and you're not closing it. Uh, and and you know statistically depending on the industry 30% close rate is is pretty industry standard between opportunity and close. We think That's horrible. T- well, we think teams can do a lot better than that. Yeah, they they absolutely can. But yes,
2: but uh, anyway, sorry, didn't didn't mean to digress. I I just had to blurt that out because I can't. Yeah, I, I have a hard time with companies that accept
1: win rates that low. But anyway, go ahead. A hundred percent. And and so that's why we say it's it's the most important stage because you've already spent the money on that prospect. So if you can do anything to. Uh, to close that lead, to bring them through to to whether it's handling objections, it's it's not just in the proposal, it's in the entire closing process. How do you move them from that, hey, we're seriously considering this? We're we're comparing you with some competitors in your space to assign contract. That's what we focus on as a company is how to bring those um, those late stage prospects through to the close. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, the reason I think about it is just that that.
2: It caused a couple of thoughts. One is, it is obviously, it's undisputably, it's it's a very important part of the the whole process. But you know, for me, I always look at the most important ones as being the f- initial steps because if you don't get by those, you never get to the end step. <laughs> so, <laughs> first things first in my book, right? Um, you know, if we don't connect, if we can't build trust or credibility, really understand what's most important to the buyer. Hey, we're never going to get to the proposal stage. Um, or if we do, we won't be considered seriously. Uh, but and I guess the other thought was, you know, if you get to that proposal stage, and this is sort of a philosophical thing too, as well. It's just, are you still really selling at that stage? And or is it? And you said, you know, you surface objections and so on. It's like from my experience been, Ben, if, if, if I've got a proposal out there and, and the customer is raising new questions, then yeah, I always look at that as like a real, non, not an opportunity, but a, a warning flag that, huh, I, I sort of messed up early on because that's really something, in my mind, in my is shouldn't be a lot of new questions pop up once you get that proposal
1: in front of the buyer. You're right. I mean, there's a lot there. I, I think we can unpack unpack that a little bit. Um, so I'm not arguing against qualification or that we should just let everything into the, um, the sales cycle and close it all at the end. I, I think you're 100% right is how you deal with qualification in the early stage is going to dictate whether or not you close it at the end. And certainly, if you're just sending out a proposal to every Tom, Dick, and Harry who asks for one, you're going to have a pretty low close rate because you haven't. The prospect should earn the proposal. They should get to the stage where they should get a proposal. Mm -hmm. Um, But there's also something to be said about the speed at which you can get these documents out the door. And I think there's a balance. I agree 100%. Ahead, so sorry, what, just, what I've encountered in the agency space is two week turnaround time on proposals. If somebody yeah. reaches out, they say, "Hey, get us your requirements. We'll we'll reach back out and then expect a proposal in 2 weeks." And it's almost like Crazy. these agencies and I'm sure they're not alone and a lot of other other industries are the same, there's a the buyer psychology there when you're when the prospect is is focused on this problem, I need this problem solved and they're going out and they're inquiring You have a certain amount of time to to get them further down the process. Um, Letting them go cold is one of the easiest ways or the quickest ways to to just completely lose the opportunity.
2: Oh, absolutely! I mean, it's it's funny. It's it's yeah. I say this in presentations I give. It's like you when somebody a buyer sets out to make a decision to purchase something, they don't say themselves. Well, let's spend six months doing this if they could get it done in a month, or I don't let's spend a month if I could get it done in two weeks. I mean it's <laughs> just your point exactly. It's like, yeah, they've got other things to do, and I think you talk about knowledgeably clearly it happens all the time is I've seen it where companies insert this gap as you talk about, sort of let the prospect go cold when they're ready to make a decision. And then they it gives them a chance to sit back and say, well, you know, maybe we can defer
1: this for six months. Yeah. 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 And sometimes it's that they're they're trying to put too much in the proposal. They're trying to almost a lot of this happens in the agency space. It's like spec work, mm-hmm. putting sort of concepts in proposals, which I wouldn't wouldn't recommend. No. Um, but then you know, you've also got the tire kickers and the people who like they send their assistant or somebody Uh, Who who doesn't have buying power to go out and ask for proposals just to compare pricing? And you know, I got off the phone with one of those last week because I still dabble in a bit of sales myself. And
0: Mm -hmm. you know,
1: those are the people you don't you want to give them enough that they can go back to their boss, but you're not giving them a proposal because they're they're the wrong person to be talking to. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you distinguish between a a quote and a proposal? Um. Yeah. Yes, I, I distinguish between them. I think a proposal is more than a quote. I think it it. Usually includes pricing, but I think a proposal is storytelling at the end of the day. It's uh, it's there not just for the person you spoke to, it's for the people you didn't speak to. Uh, maybe higher up the chain of command who are making these decisions who you can't for some reason get on a call. Mm-hmm. It should be mm-hmm. telling the story of, we understand your problem. Um, this is our approach. Here's how we solved it for similar customers. Here's what you're actually here's what a solution would look like. Here's how much it costs. I think it includes all that. So it goes well beyond a quote. Yeah. I mean, I think a
2: proposal is the vision of success. Yeah. I mean, to your point, a story. If you're not able to tell and relate that vision of success and the proposal, then or it raises too many questions and you haven't done a good job of uh getting the buyer to that point because it should be a story they've heard already. This shouldn't be the first time they hear it. It's confirming what it is that you've already gone
1: through with them. It's confirming for the people who've been involved in the sales process. It's I think it's one of the sure. mo- most frustrating thing for most sales reps is being surprised, you know, at some point in the cycle with new people who suddenly have to approve things, the privacy lawyer, the IT consultant, whoever it is who you're like, "Oh, they they didn't get the context." They're just coming in at the end to you know check some boxes, mm-hmm. and now I need to tell a different story because it's it's a whole entirely, entirely different set of positioning for this person.
2: Yeah, I mean, arguably they should have known that those types of people need to be involved in those types of decisions, so they would have taken care of that beforehand. But yes, absolutely. Um, now, you say that that you can differentiate proposals to close a deal. So tell us what that means, and give
1: an example if you can. Um, give me a little bit more context when you say. Well, I was uh, just
2: going through some. I think was maybe on your state of proposals report or something.
1: So it's it's language that you guys are using. So I, I was just curious what you meant by that. Sure. Um, differentiating proposals. I mean, I think there's a lot of different ways that you can differentiate for sure. Um, you know, it, I, I did this a lot back in the agency days when when I was running my uh, my first company was. A lot of times, people don't put thought into the design of their proposals. And if you're not in marketing, you're not in in design. Um, sometimes people kind of scoff at that and be like, "It doesn't matter. It just just they just need the numbers. They just need the the content. They don't care what mm. it looks like." Um, but it does make a big difference. And if if design and yeah. branding didn't make a difference, then you know Apple packaging would look like <laughs> shit. And uh you know these Yeah, because it, you have already you've already purchased the product before you see the packaging. So and yet they say yeah. It, yeah, it's
2: so it's part of the it's part of the way the buyer experiences you as a vendor. So to your point, yeah, if you just are slapdash with a proposal, um yeah, it's problematic because
1: you're saying, look, we don't really care about this. Well if, if the amount of work that marketing teams put into landing pages and uh, everything higher up mm-hmm. in the funnel that a buyer might see before they get to the sales cycle, even pitch decks. Once you're in a sales cycle, you're seeing maybe demo decks or mm-hmm. these kind of things, and then you get to the proposal stage. And a lot of times, that's the that's the the overlooked uh, you know stepchild that nobody right. cares about. Because they're like yeah. marketing doesn't have time to design these sales. They don't care. They're just you know slapping something together. And so that's where I see a big opportunity. I think there's other ways to differentiate a proposal: the content, the pricing, how you package the pricing. That's a huge factor as well. But uh, you know, one of the stats from our state of proposals guide um, finds that even just including images in the proposal will will offer a lift in conversion. Statistically, they they close at a higher rate if you put some effort into the visual presentation. Yeah, I, mean, I saw that as one of the key findings. And it's like,
2: <laughs> in this day and age, it's like, well, of course. Right? I mean, it's, it's, there's no excuse, given all the, the tools that exist, including Proposify and others, if even people are doing it more by hand. Yeah, it's, it's, it's one of the ways that the customer, I said, experiences the, the brand of you. And yeah, if you don't think it makes
1: a difference, to your point, you know, what you saw in your your state of the proposals report. It does. And and you know, it's it's common sense, but not always not always so common. Um, a lot of times these things are just considered a commodity and hey, they just care about the you know, I've I've had people tell me, Oh, I wouldn't even send proposals, we just email the numbers over email. Um, if it works for you, great.
2: Yeah, I mean, there's something to be said for that. I mean, and I I sort of lean a little bit that direction myself. Um I mean obviously part of it's tied to the dollar value of the opportunity. I mean if it's, you know, a seven or eight figure deal, then yeah, you're gonna honor the the buyer and respect them by putting work into a proposal. But by the same token, you know, sometimes with less expensive deals, you've got everything ironed out, maybe you have more standard contract terms. Sometimes, yeah. Pricing is enough because you've touched all the decision makers or all the stakeholders, and they don't really want to spend the time you know reviewing in-depth proposals. They've sort of
1: made their decision, yeah, you know, give me something I can sort of finalize, yeah, and if it works for for people to do that, if they're especially if there's not a lot of competition in the deal cycle, I think that's the thing. but when once you start getting into multiple stakeholders, um, maybe people who haven't been involved. I mean, we touched on that earlier. It was like, yeah, we shouldn't you always have to multi-thread your deals and understand the buyer process. But a lot of times prospects just don't tell you or they don't know themselves. They've never bought something like this before. So they'll say, mm-hmm. No, I'm the one who makes the decision. And then once you get once, you know, you get down a certain sure. stage, they go, Oh, actually, no, I forgot procurements gets involved at this point. So, you know, you just never really know. And and the more you can sort of package your offering. Uh, put some thought into how it's presented. A lot more companies are putting video embedded mm-hmm. right in their proposals. I right. so saw that, really tell pur- that story. So makes a big difference.
2: And it, it makes sense to do that. But I was also thinking back, it's like, it just again, my own experience um, and of companies I've worked uh, with as clients is that in competitive deals, did they ever lose based on the value? Perceived value received by the buyer of the proposal. It's not that it's not important, because it is important, because again, it's just part of this brand statement. But, you know, I think if, well, I'm interested if you hear, you know, companies think they can go into the proposal and think maybe they're behind, but they can win it based on the strength of the proposal.
1: I mean, it happens in... um... You know, in RFP situ- situations, sometimes RFPs, you don't yeah. get access to Absolutely. Yeah. you know, you always want to control the sales cycle as much as possible. Um, especially in the agency world, it's like you should almost never just send a proposal through. That's a mistake that a lot of, a lot of these companies oh, yeah. make is they talk to somebody and they say, okay, you know, here's when you can expect the proposal and they just email it when really it should be a meeting. They should walk them through it. They should present it and um, capture any of those you know those objections or that confusion on the call while they can still feel them instead of you know the 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 uh, client being quietly confused and they they never surface those those um, objections. So you have to control as much of the sales process as you can. I don't think a proposal standalone is necessarily going to make or break the 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 deal cycle, but I think it's a huge factor.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think it can be. And certainly in the RFP-type scenarios, and I've spent years in that, yes, very decisive. Or even some large large commercial deals where they've down-selected to two finalists, and then the RFP does become, or the proposal itself does become more, more significant. Um, but I think for a seller's perspective, they should really approach it from, if you're especially in more transactional, relatively lower dollar value, yeah, you should know before that proposal goes
1: over you should know pretty well whether you're going to win that deal or not. Well, pricing should never be a surprise in a proposal.
2: Heck no. Actually, you can make the there should be nothing new in a proposal. Yeah, I'd agree with that. Yeah, I mean, if there's something new that you're, you're putting forth, then either you're doing it out of panic because you feel you're behind, so you're trying to raise uncertainty, uh, which I guess sometimes works. I've seen it work once or twice, but generally yeah, confusing
1: the buyer is not, not a winning scenario at that point. No. And I mean, in fact, in line with that, one of the surprising insights that we found um, actually consistently over a couple of years was that two times viewing is the sweet spot for proposals. If you get yeah, to. I, I thought that's a great, a great insight you had in there is that the fewer times the proposal is viewed, the more likely you are to win. Yeah. Up until two and a half on average times. So after about three times, that's when your close rate starts to go down. And then it continues to slide down the more times they view it. So if they viewed it, opened it ten times, the chances of you winning it is almost nothing. And that makes sense in my mind. Because again, back to the
2: point I made before, is, is I think if you're a seller, if, if you don't have a high degree of confidence you're going to win a deal before you submit the proposal, first of all, why are you putting the work and effort into submitting a proposal uh, if you don't have that confidence, is that oftentimes, again, in my experience, proposal service has been a confirmation of the buyer's preference for vendors. So, yeah, they don't need to look at it that often. But if they're looking at it 10 times, then, yeah, they've got a
1: ton of questions. <laughs> yeah, and a lot of times people just don't know that because they're just emailing out PDFs, so they would never know. Yeah, so you guys
2: have the analytics and build a track, absolutely. Makes, makes a, you want that intelligence if you're a seller. I mean, two things are <laughs> bug me. One is that, that sellers aren't curious about how people are really interacting with it. And the second is just often proposals just sort of thrown across the transom to the buyer. I mean, I insist that you be able to
1: present a proposal to the buyer, not just hand it to them and say, hey, then let's hop on a call
2: later and look at it.
1: Yeah, and once, you know, at some point you have to send that document. So maybe you've had the call, you've walked them through it, but a lot of times sellers don't know how to approach the follow-up because if they're blind and they don't know if they if they're using a PDF, let's say, right, the follow-up is going to be very different if it's, "Hey, I noticed you didn't even open it. Did you get it? Did it mm-hmm. hit your inbox?" Or hey, I see you've opened it seven times, and you've spent a lot of time on the scope of services section or the pricing section. What what is the you know what are you kind of um, having trouble with? So just tailoring your follow up based on the data is a huge is a huge thing. And to a point we talked about before, if if it's being looked at, if your
2: proposal is being looked at more frequently, again, chances are you might have thrown something new in there, and yeah, raising new. New issues in a proposal that have been raised before
1: is, is oftentimes a disqualifier. I, I you know, I tell this story of a, a buying experience I had a couple of years ago that really stood out in my mind, which was um I was cold emailed. I was looking for a solution around the capturing um disputes, credit card disputes. It was kind of like mm-hmm. admin burden, and I was trying to look for a solution for right. it. Um, company cold emailed me and they were like, this is exactly what we do. So I got on a call with a sales rep um he kind of pitched me told told me what they do it's very automated basically took away all my pain so my next question was how do we get started what are the next steps i'm mm-hmm. i'm hot i'm ready to buy and he says okay well i don't do the proposals myself the accounting department does so we're going to send you something you know hopefully next week <laughs> um and so we hung up a week goes by i don't see anything this problem's right. still keeping me up at night um, it was supposed to be Alice in accounting. Where's Alice from accounting? I'm not seeing any any documents. I want to get this this going, so I follow up with the rep. Hey, is this coming through? He says, "Let me check with Alice, see what's going on." About a day or two later, I finally get a docu sign in my inbox from uh, a name I didn't recognize, right. <laughs> and you know, and then I open it up, and it's all small print and legalese and tons of checkboxes I need to go through. Exactly. And so I literally just sit on it. Now the sales rep is following up with me. Hey, did you get it? Um so with that little story, I'm sure we've all had similar buying experiences, And I think it just goes to show what is common sense to us. There's a lot of companies with completely broken sales processes
0: mm-hmm.
1: Oh, yeah, more more likely the norm as opposed to the exception.
2: yes, and just the little things that that can make a difference. And I mean, the number of <laughs> I was been dealing with someone recently that a vendor that don't have e-signatures enabled on any of their documents. And it's like these days it's like drives me nuts, right? Is cause I don't, I don't have a printer <laughs> at home. Uh, so yeah, yeah, I can sign a PDF and so on. It's yeah, not a huge inconvenience, but it's like why don't you set up that way, just to make it easy for people.
1: Yeah. Yeah, that's the signature is more and more um, a necessity now. And there's actually even a, a statistical lift, lift on close rates just from having purely e-signature. The easier you make it, um, it's it's almost like a lot of the concepts that people learn about when they think of e-commerce in terms of making the checkout process easier. You're going to mm-hmm. sell more product. Um, if you do that on the B2B side with a higher touch sales process, it, the, the same principle, the same buyer psychology is at play, which is, you know one one button checkout yeah well, there are customers are doing it
2: other other venues so why not here yeah no. so yeah i can see where the e signature you, know, you talk about it in the report accelerates close but do you think it helps give you an advantage in a competitive situation i mean that a customer would make a you
1: know yes no decision based purely on the availability of the e signature i mean Consumer psychology is a very, very interesting uh, field of of research because a lot of times what is not necessarily common sense um, is true. Like, for instance, the choice paralysis thing, right? Like a lot of Mm -hmm. times people think, "Hey, if I give you more options, you're more likely to buy the 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 jam, uh, the 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 infamous jam jar." Research yeah. study kind of disproved that. That if you offer six choice, six flavors of jam versus twenty four, you'll get you know two. I don't have the numbers in front of me, but a no, mass it's, it's, increase yeah. in purchase. So there's all these little things at play here, and I mean, if somebody, I mean, I can think just anecdotally if many times when it came down to say one or two competing providers, the one who made it the easiest got my business. The ones who made it you know, who made you print and sign the uh, or fax over the signature? The one who has the signature button right there in the document. If if all else is equal, you'll go with what's easier.
2: Well, absolutely, and I think that's the point I was driving at. Is is yeah, considering how often in in certain tech spaces or even non tech spaces, there's very little you know air between you and a competitor is, yeah, if you create friction in the process, the customer will go with the option in relatively you know, commodity-type environments, they'll go with the choice that doesn't add
1: friction. And, I mean, no companies, very few companies will actually consider themselves a commodity. Even if you sell nails, you're still <laughs> going to say, but our nails are the best. Our nails, right? yes. And, you know, agencies is one example of, uh, it's it's Sometimes a commodity business, but every agency believes that they do it the best. They have the best ideas. They're the most creative. What have you? And c- buyers don't care. They don't. They don't look often at it, they're not right. going exactly. with what they think is the best. We had a um, we had a client, you know, many years ago. But I always found it very interesting. Back to the idea of like getting it out faster, getting the proposal out faster was mm-hmm. one of our customers. Were, were kind of emailed me. Uh, really proud that they beat out Gary Vaynerchuk's agency, uh, VaynerMedia, mm-hmm. at a at a deal, and it was because they got the proposal to the client faster. They said, like, the client, basically, VaynerMedia was going to be a couple weeks, this, you know, our client said, here you go, here's how much it is, got the proposal in their hands within half an hour before the decision maker had to go on vacation, and they were like, great, you got the business. Precisely. And I write about this in my new book that I just announced yesterday, Sell Without Selling Out.
2: Available for pre-order now. I get to plug on my own show. Um, and yeah, it's this idea. And Herbert Simon, Nobel Prize winner, wrote about this. Um, Barry Schwartz, who you referenced him with the choice paradox of choice. Uh, his book mm-hmm. is that when people are making decisions, most people, what they do is they research until they find something that satisfies the requirements and suffices to enable them to achieve their desired outcomes. And when they find that, they stop and make a decision. He calls that a satisfied choice, you know, conjoining of the two words. And that's just what you described, right? I mean, the, the buyer clearly, even though Vayner, on the surface, you might think, oh, gosh, they've got a much higher, better value proposition than maybe a small local agency. It, it didn't matter if the buyer didn't perceive it that way. And so, if you made it easy for them to do business with solutions that they thought were basically the same, they'd make which is really a rational choice to say, this satisfies my
1: requirements, suffices to hit my outcomes, desired outcomes we're going to go with it yeah and in some cases, um, depending on what the problem is, they might buy nothing if you if they don't find any vendor makes it easy for them peop i think buyers are always subconsciously trying to put off or delay the decision at all costs. They'd rather (laughs) stick with the status quo than implement implement change. And that's usually, I think, what a seller is ultimately doing, is helping the the buyer get out of their own way in making a decision. Yeah, I think in
2: some instances that's true. I mean, I'm not as, I don't subscribe to that as a blanket thing, I think, but yeah, to some degree, for for sure. sure. Yeah. So, last thing I wanted to ask, because this is really sort of an interesting sort of conundrum. I was just reading the report; is you're saying that one of your key findings is the shorter the proposal, the better. When I looked at the graph, you know, the real winners are like the two and three page proposals. Um, but then you sort of follow it by saying there are seven must have sections in the proposal. So I started to say, okay, well, how do I how do I square that circle if there's, you know, the two and three page proposals are the ones that really convert at a much higher rate.
1: Yeah, we need to have these seven sections in there. So I just want to ask well, you about. I mean, that. I think like anything, there's uh, every every deal cycle is different. Every company industry is different. Um, I mean, I guess if I had to square that, I could say that your proposal could be two or three pages, but still answer these, you know, these six or seven sections about, um, you know, introduce that you understand the problem. This is our approach. We have a solution. Here's what it includes. Here's the investment. And these are uh, kind of the next steps. So I think you could probably summarize that. But again, I mean, we have customers who, you know, it's it's industry standard for them to have a 60-page proposal. And it has to include all these things. So it's very hard to make blatant statements about everything. But yeah, generally speaking, the more concise, the more simple, the um, the more likely you'll you'll close it because you won't confuse buyers.
2: Yeah, and I think you look at the... To your point, is you you look at your proposal, it's a concise vision statement for the buyer of, of what what they're going to achieve by investing in your solution, and yeah, what the price is. And if you can do that, you've really sort of covered. If you've done a good job, you've covered the detail that might normally go in a proposal prior to giving the proposal, and the proposal becomes this yeah as as easy and frictionless way to get the customer to sign and say, "Yeah, let's do this It's true very cool all right, Kyle well, thank you so much for joining me. Thanks for having me
1: uh if people want to learn more about Proposify,
2: where should they go to do that?
1: Well, the website is p r o p o s i f y dot dot com um they can check out the product we have a a free trial and actually a free account if people mm-hmm. want to play with it um And they can also check out the state of proposals guide. You pretty much just Google that and there's a a landing page there. You can download the guide and check out some of these stats yourself.
2: Yeah, no, it's very useful to go through that. And yeah, I really like the the vibe on your website. It's kind (laughs) of (laughs) cool. You guys do a good job with that. I enjoyed. So, all right, Kyle, thank you so much. Thank you and congrats on the book. Oh, thank you very much. Okay, friends, that's it for this episode. First of all, I want to thank you for taking the time to listen. I'm so grateful for your support of the show. And I want to thank my guest, Kyle Racky, for sharing his insights with us today. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to this podcast, Sales Enablement with Andy Paul, on iTunes, Spotify, or wherever you listen to podcasts. And thank you for your help with that. And as always, thank you so much for investing your time with me today. Until next time, I'm your host, Andy Paul. Good selling, everyone.